is August 24th. It is 2011. It's a Wednesday evening. The next few Wednesdays, Matthew and I are going to tag team. We have some, uh, we, we, we just want to push the church in a certain direction. Uh, there are certain things that are working inside of us. I have loved the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 weeks, maybe longer than that, that we've heard from everybody in multiple times. And we're going to do that again, but we want a few weeks to be able to share with you some things that we don't have enough Sundays to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, so if you will uh, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be in the 20th chapter. There. There. In the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy, we begin our message. Our message, by the way, is called Your Moment. Uh, so since you're out there and I'm up here, why don't you say it is my moment? Will you say it with me? My moment. There are moments that belong to you and belong to no one else. If Ephesians 2 is correct, and I believe that it is, that God prepared work in advance for you to do, then there are moments in time where your work is there, it is ordained for you to do it, and no one else. This means that when God called Jacob and Raquel, He called them together as one family unit, one vision, and there are things they are called to do that no one else was called to do for them. It is their work. When you recognize in a moment that this is that divine time, right? Nobody else can do that for us. Now, many times those moments go by us. Uh, we, we hesitate. We uh, shrink back in fear. We deliberate out God. And it might take 40 years. God will raise up someone else, a son or a daughter, to do what we should have done. This is the story of Israel in the desert. We want to learn to recognize our moments and we want to do what God has called us to do in that moment. Amen? Amen. Otherwise, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what is it good for? If you do not do in the moment that you were designed to do something, that which you were designed to do, are you not salt that has lost its saltiness? Amen. Yeah. I don't want I, I don't want to get to the end of this and have been as useless as salt that does not taste like salt. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, and you put some more on your fries. Keep putting, it, keep putting it, there's never enough. You know why? It is not doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, so how many Christians does it take to accomplish this task? Well, one who's obedient or 10,000 who are not cannot accomplish it. Are you following? Yes. Okay, Deuteronomy 20. When you go to war, I, 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 look, I'm just in one of those moods, so you have to help me. When that, when that starts, it says, when you go to war, right? It doesn't say if you go to war. It doesn't say if war comes to you. It says when you go to war. Friends, when you were born again, it was a declaration of war. You had been enslaved by the prince of the power of the air. And the king of the universe, the son of God, appeared to destroy his work. And it is a declaration of war. And the draft has gone out. When you were born, you were on the wrong team. You are by nature an object of wrath, a slave to what is disobedient, Ephesians 2 says. So when you were born again, you went to war against that which you used to be a part of. That's a lot different than just being a pretty good old boy that one day found Jesus, right? 
No, you were evil. You were wicked. You were about advancing an anti-Christ kingdom. And you traded sides. And now you're about destroying that which ravaged lives, that which enslaved people, that which oppressed and pushed people down. When you go to war, it says, not if. Yeah, so we're all supposed to be at war. 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 Okay. When you go to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours. Now, number one, you're always going to be at war. When you go to war, it's not optional, it is expected. You know what you will always find? That you are always outmatched. There will never be a war that God calls you to where you outnumber the enemy, where you have what it takes to get it done. If that is the war you are in, you are not in the right war. We can pick a fight, friends, and that doesn't mean it's the fight that God wanted us to have. Yeah, Have you ever noticed that bullies... People, and I've noticed because I was one, they look for what they know they can win. Very rarely do you find somebody who is looking for the kind of challenge that says, I could almost certainly never win this fight, but I'm going to pick it anyway. Yeah, Yeah, that that would be mentally unstable (laughs) under most scenarios. Yeah. The kingdom is based on the fact that you will go to war even when the odds are stacked against you, when you are the remnant and they are the majority. And why? Because God has told you this is your job. One of the ways that you know that it is God is your flesh never would have picked to be in this fight. Because if your flesh had picked it, it would have been one you know you could win. Not one that you almost certainly can't win without divine help. Are you following? Yes. Yes. I don't know how many of you have actually been in some of those situations, but I know what it is to have two doors closed and be in a wrong room with hostile people that wanted to take my life from me. Okay? Nobody there to help. You're going to fight or you're 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 gonna go to sleep for a while. Yeah. There's a choice that comes over you. Something has to happen. In the medical community, it's a fight or flight syndrome. Well, if flight is eliminated, there's really only one that is left. Where are you going to run? The enemy's camp is all around you. When you go to war and you see that they have horses and chariots, do not be afraid. Why don't be afraid? Would any reasonable person be afraid when you look out and you see they have things you don't have? I mean, shouldn't Natalie be afraid if she picks a fight with Cody? (laughs) (laughs) There's girl power in the room tonight. Shouldn't? You really should. But our faith is based upon the fact that we hear from the highest heaven. And on earth, we are doing what the heavens have foreordained. This means that although we carry out the commands, it is never our command. It comes from the Father. When you stack up against the enemy, you always fall short. Yeah, always. When you stack the enemy up against the one who sent you, he always falls short. This is a matter of perspective. It's best categorized in the book of Numbers or characterized in the book of Numbers when you see that the children of Israel said about the Anakites who were in the land, we were grasshoppers 
in our own eyes. They were not supposed to be looking with their own eyes. They were to be looking with heaven's eyes. God said, go take it. He didn't say, take it if you think you can whip them. He said, take it. You see what happens when we decide that we want to evaluate rather than just be obedient? But let's be honest, how much of our lives are evaluated? Now, by the way, who in here has had to move? <laughs> when you move, you like somebody to help you? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you do, don't you? Raise your hand if you would not like somebody to help you. Well, we have a hundred percent agreement on the subject. <laughs> Can you imagine going out to your moving party? Let's just say that because this is your family, they're the ones that move. And you say, if any of you had anything else that you would rather be doing today, go home. If any of you would have liked to got a little more sleep today, go home. If any of you worked hard this week, go home. If any of you have some honey that you'd like to spend time with instead of a bunch of sweaty, nasty people carrying washers and dryers upstairs, go home. How many people would be left if you took that seriously? Probably not a lot. In fact, you probably would not want to say that, huh? Because you would like some help moving, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's finish Deuteronomy 20. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots in an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Either we are fighting the battle that the Lord has told us to fight, or you are fighting the wrong battle, or a battle is being waged upon you, and you are not fighting back. Those are the only three options. We are either fighting with the Lord at our side, or rather us at the Lord's side, and by definition you will be victorious if you persevere, or you are having a battle waged against you and you're in a little ball in the corner doing nothing, hoping that it will go away. Or the third option is that you are fighting a battle but the Lord is not with you because it is not one He sent you on. These are the three areas you can evaluate your life in. Only one of them can be true at a time. What we would like to believe many times is that we can pick any battle we want and call it the Lord's. How many times have you seen somebody lay some heavy thing at the feet of the Lord that the Lord never told them to do? Well, I know the Lord will provide for me because the Lord always provides. Yeah, but you were in complete disobedience when you bought the house, the car, and maxed out the credit cards. But you know the Lord will provide? Yeah, He'll provide food, clothing, the life, the air that you breathe. Well, I just don't know why the Lord let me get into this position. Your disobedience put you in that position. I have seen that many, many times in the Christian world. That if you are doing what the Lord has called you to do, you have no reason to be afraid. It doesn't matter whether the world is melting away around you. 
if the Lord is with you, what should you fear? We sing it all of the time. That's right. So then, if you want to dig a little deeper, you can examine your own heart in every situation. You can go, why am I filled with anxiety in this scenario? Well, is it because I'm worried my disobedience has put me here? Is it because I don't believe that the Lord is with me? Am I in a battle I shouldn't be in? Friends, this is what the Christian walk is about. It's about learning to discern these situations. Learning to take confidence in what the Word says. If you're walking with the Lord and you're late, you're not really late. Amen, Steve? Amen. Because you're with the Lord. You're always on time. This allows Christians throughout the centuries in every place to accept tragedy as blessing. To accept difficulty. This allows Christians to look at every situation and go, whatever comes my way, the Lord's with me so I can be excited about it. Do you feel an obligatory desire to uh, pity and moan with people when they share bad news? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just got to... Yeah, we're definitely not going to keep this now there, so don't worry about it. I just got to tell you, when a death happens in a family, I, I'm so sick of this and I love you, so I'm just going to warn you this. shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else may dedicate it. Well, that's encouraging. Oh, boy. Yeah. Hey, y'all, we're going to go fight against an impossible battle here. There's more of them than us. They're better equipped. They're stronger. They're faster. They're better supplied. Who wants to go? Now, wait. Out of you guys who want to go, any of you got houses? I mean, I don't want you to miss out on your house, and you could die tomorrow. Uh, so if you would like to go enjoy your house, it's okay. Go enjoy your house. <laughs> well, look, we had problems with conscription in the 70s for Vietnam, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Only a couple were hit. <laughs> conscription is the draft. Yeah. It's the draft. Yeah. We had problems with the draft, getting people to go fight when it was compulsory. What if it is completely voluntary? And then, with the invitation to battle, there are built-in excuses. 
The first excuse being, if you have a house, you may not want to fight. How many people are going to go? How about this one? The officer shall say about the home, verse 6, Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else may enjoy it. Any of you got a job, you know, a J-O-B, if you hadn't got a chance yet to go buy your favorite pair of Ray-Bans or whatever it is that you do with your paycheck, right? Look, man, go get a paycheck. Go enjoy it. There's no reason to go fight and die. Does that sound like a draft to you? No. <laughs> How about this next one? Any of you got a woman you're pledged to be married to? I mean, look, dude, you don't want to go die and have somebody else marry your honey. Go marry her. Go have fun. We're going to go fight. Does this sound like they were begging for volunteers to you? No. Braveheart wouldn't have said that. Braveheart would not have said that. Get this. Here, here is the issue. The Lord did not need a bunch of people. He didn't need a certain size military, a certain equipped military, a certain supplied military. You know what he needed? People who were willing. Now, there is no draft in the kingdom of God. There is only a choice. There's a choice to be moved by willing obedience. The Bible calls that trust-grounded obedience. Or obedience that springs from faith. We either have that, or you could go do any other thing. You are no use to the Lord. So this brings up a whole other set of questions. Whatever you did for the Lord last, did you do it? Out of a willing, joyful heart because you're trusting or did you do it out of an obligation to somebody around you who would think poorly of you if you did? Did you do it out of social concern? Or did you do it because it hurt and you knew there was no way to win without the Lord and you just wanted to show Him, I trust you above everything else. I'm going to throw myself off this bridge and I know you'll catch me. That's a metaphor. <laughs> think about that. When Israel went into battle and understand they had a hundred plus years of battle ahead of them. The directives were if there's anybody that for any reason does not want to fight, get rid of them. And you know why he said get rid of them? Look at what that line says. Uh, is in Verse 8, Then the officer shall add, Is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. Disobedience, unfaithfulness, cost counting is contagious. You let people be dedicated to a task. We're all going to go skydive, alright? So Mike and I are heading up the skydiving team and we've begun drafting everyone, right? People are, oh yeah, it's fun. You, you enjoyed it. Dude, I, I thought it was a blast. You should go. How much is it? Well, it's not that much. Look, I mean, it's only this much. You want to go? Oh, yes, yes, yes. We have a room full of people that want to go skydiving. And then one person goes, what happens if your shoot doesn't open? He <laughs> said, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess I guess I'd, I'd die. Yeah, but who's going to raise your kids? You know? I mean, have you really looked into those people? Have you, have you checked them out? Well, uh, I guess I guess I have. I don't know if this is a good idea. Before long, do you think the group is dwindling down? I guarantee it is. 
ten spies who were disobedient to the Lord turned an entire nation. Two who were obedient could not turn around the nation that the ten condemned to death in a desert. You know why? They were not willing to be obedient. Willing obedience. So really, what are you trying to do in a community of believers like this? You're trying to band together in a willingness to discern what the Lord's will is and in obedience to do it. So that if Bill says, I believe God has called me to do this, number one, if you don't believe that, you love Him enough to tell Him. But when there is consensus, this means even if Bill is a little bit scared, you're there to encourage Him. No, Bill, we can do it. It doesn't matter that you don't have the money. It doesn't matter that so-and-so says you're crazy. We can do this. You know why? The Lord always calls us to things like that. We come from a rich lineage of people who God's called to do these things. He called us to do things that cannot be done without Him, only through Him. That's what the community of believers is for. You know, some are called to be mayors. Some are called to be undertakers. Some are called to be haircutters. You want them knowing their moment and doing what they were called to do. If the mayor is only ready to be mayor when court's out of session, what are you going to do? What if, what if the haircutter shows up in the middle of the night? What good is that? We need to be ready when God has called us to be ready. Turn to Isaiah 51. As I think about that, who is the man that witnessed to the Ethiopian unit? Philip. And when the Spirit of the Lord spoke to Philip, Philip deliberated for a while, right? He ran. He ran. How do you get yourself into a place where you are running to do God's will? Friends, you cannot be preoccupied with the pipe piper and everything that's going on around us. You cannot be a, a soldier who's concerned with civilian affairs. I guarantee you Philip did not spend that day watching MTV. I guarantee it. I bet he woke up with the Lord on his mind. I bet his entire goal that day was to hear from God. And that he had been training himself for years that if he believed he thought he might have even come close to hearing from God, he was ready to go. You know how I know that? Because I've been in the same situation and failed and succeeded. And I can tell you the success is not because of some superior strength. It was because of a very intentional perseverance about doing God's will. The times I've been at the best that I can be in the kingdom, all of my thoughts were full of expectation that the Lord would speak to me and a readiness to do it. Where are you at with those things? Are we sitting back waiting for the work of the kingdom to get done by someone else? You won't do it. It goes undone. The Lord is looking for those who are willing and obedient. Are you in Psalm 51? Yeah, I was wrong. Go to Psalms. In Psalm 51, look at verse 10. Somebody else read that. Just start from 10, go down from 12. Create me a pure heart, O God. What kind of spirit? Steadfast. Steadfast. That's the kind that gives up easily, that quits soon. A steadfast spirit is one that is not easily dissuaded. Keep going. 
Do not cast me from your presence, and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain A willing spirit to sustain him. A steadfast spirit. Are you hearing a persevering theme? What circumstances was David working through? He had just committed murder. He had just committed adultery. He had just seen his baby die as a result of his sin. And what did he know that he needed at that point? A willing spirit. Yeah. What should we be asking the Lord for? More money? More talents? To remove the consequences of sin from our lives? What should we be asking the Lord for? The ability to stick it out. The ability to do what He tells us to do. This is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not to speak in other tongues. Do you know, friends, why you pray in other tongues? It is to strengthen your inner man so that you will have a willing, steadfast spirit. It is not to impress a friend. It is not so that you can feel power in a charismatic privilege. It is supposed to be exercising the inner man so that you will do what he says to do. David was at the lowest place in his entire life. In another psalm, he said that his bones were out of joint and he was crushed and his heart was like wax inside him. He could ask anything of the Lord. He asked for perseverance and willingness. What do you think we need to succeed? It's not one more seminar. It's not one more deep revelation. I mean, let's just be honest. How many sermons do you have to hear before we're responsible to do something? Who in here may have to Look, That's about 50% of the people in here that have to The man memorized the Gospel of Matthew, and that's all he preached for the first few years. Just the Gospel of Matthew. Well, why did he memorize it? Because it was precious. It was all he had. It was important to him. Why did he preach that for a few years? Because it was enough. It was enough. I want to tell you the truth. If I didn't have anything but the first chapter of John, I could preach that for the rest of my life. It's not that we have a lack of preaching, a lack of understanding. We have a lack of willing obedience. So what the Lord hasn't said, maybe you cannot hear the Lord because you don't expect to hear the Lord. And if you do expect to hear Him, the moment you do, you bog down in such lack of trust in decision that it's as if it thundered instead of God speaking. Friends, we have to train ourselves. New Christians are good at this. Not because they can discern God's voice, but because they'll act on anything. And God forgive me, new Christians, you're too stupid to know the difference. The Lord said, and then He said, and then He said, and the truth is the Lord didn't say any of that, but at least there is a willingness He can work with them. Amen. I got so much accomplished with Matthew in the first few years of our faith because we didn't know enough. We didn't know what we didn't know. Anything that seemed right before the Lord. And we made our mistakes moving forward, not sitting back and debating the efficacy of our strategy. Somewhere along the way, we get too wise for our own good. David, at the lowest point in his life, wanted willingness and perseverance. Turn with me to Isaiah, the first chapter. Tell me when you're there. 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 Did the rest of you quit? Where? Okay. 
13. In the first chapter, look at the 13th verse. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. It's a good thing I have a new Bible. That's my old Bible. had a denomination's name written right next to it. That was always hard for people when they borrowed my Bible. What is an evil assembly? You can be doing all of the right things. All of the things that look right, look religious, maybe even God said for them to be done, but it's not when He said for them to be done, He didn't ask them for you in that time. See, friends, when we decide to do a good thing, right? Like, oh, well, let's just do this. When we know good and well the Lord's told us to do something else, it's idolatry. And it happens every day. Very often when somebody is called to go, let's just say to the mission field, they assuage that guilt by maybe volunteering for Sunday school teaching. Do you, you understand what I'm getting at? We are long on activity, but short on obedience. This is nothing that will please the Lord. He actually calls it evil. Would you have ever thought it was evil for Peter to say, no, Lord, you'll never know. It's good-hearted. It's warm. It's protected. It's loyal. But it was contrary to the will of God, so it was evil. Look what it says here. Evil assemblies. And after the assemblies, your new moon festivals and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and Obedient. You will eat the best from the land. Willingness and obedience is all the Lord needs. He does not need your talent. He does not need you to be a great intellect. He doesn't need you to have 3,500 scriptures memorized. He needs you to be willing and then obedient. That really boils things down an awful lot, doesn't it? How many years do you need to study before you can be willing and obedient. How many degrees do you need to have before you can be willing and obedient? How many councils, how many people, how many folks have to think you're great before you can be willing and obedient? How affirmed do you have to be before you are willing and obedient? I want to encourage a few of you who are really praise-seeking. Okay, this is just a loving thing. What Bill said into us, a lack of affirmation when we're young. When nobody was there that says, son, I'm proud of you. You did a good job. When you don't get those kind of things, you grow up with this hole in you. You don't know quite who you are. And that comes up in a lot of ways. Sometimes you stand a little distant and a little more uh, aloof, almost superior, when really you're just fighting not to crumble inside. Other times it manifests in different ways. 
But when we have these praise-seeking behaviors where we're looking for affirmation from our brothers, you need somebody to tell you that they noticed you. It's because you have not touched that feeling that comes from God when you were obedient and nobody else was. When you were willing and nobody else was. Here's the secret, friends. Nobody can ever give you that feeling of full satisfaction that the Lord does when you have done something that is difficult in His name. Everybody in the world could praise you for it. They could all say, oh, I don't know how you did that and it was wonderful. And it is so hollow compared to that feeling that the Lord said, well, that feeling that He is proud of you. i got to tell you, if we could just examine our behavior a little bit. Ladies, for you, this might be something as simple as needing to be told you're pretty so often. Baptize me in the criticism of man to free me of the fear of man. 
I can see how Jesus, the, the highest hill in the whole area, uh, overlooks Capernaum, and you can see Gennesaret from it. It's almost as if he picked a place to go pray and watch and see how they handled the task he told them to do. Oh, keep going, Dan. Walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. That should be enough, it. shouldn't it? Yes. They're going where he told them to go. They're struggling to get there. He shows up and says, It's me. That should be enough. Huh? But we find out from the other story they wanted supernatural proof first. Keep going. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. How many times are we struggling to do what God has told us to do because we have stopped taking his direction while we're trying to do it? How many times has he said something as simple as, I want a church in Sugar Land, but somewhere along the way I decided what I wanted the church to look like, who I wanted to be in it, what I wanted it to look like, whatever it might be. How many times has that happened? Did anybody, was anybody alive in the 80s? Do you really think that none of those churches that had giant crashes that were heard around the world were started in love with Jesus? Well, I think they probably were. But while doing what God has told us to do, we were willing, but not obedient. There has to be a willingness to work and an obedience in the way that the work is done. Or it's for nothing, friend. The devil has to do is distract you a little bit. And before long, we're building our own kingdoms and calling them hints. Turn to Chronicles 12. I thought y'all reading the scriptures better. It's easier. When you get to the 12th chapter, read the first verse. These are the men who came to David at Ziklag. While he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish, they were among the warriors who helped him in the battle. Okay, hold there. While David was banished from Saul's presence. So David is not allowed into the presence of the king of Israel. And what was David called to be? The king of Israel. He's hiding at a place called Ziklag. And people are called to his side. And when they're called there, he makes out of them warriors. How many tribes were there in Israel? Twelve. And in Israel at this time, the census is in the millions. But for less, just for argument's sake, in easy math, we're going to say there were only 1.2 million people in Israel. That's not correct. There are many more. But let's say there's 1.2 million people in Israel, and there's 12 tribes. If they were evenly dispersed, what's that give us per tribe? 100,000. 100,000. That's amazing. It's homeschooling. It's okay. A hundred thousand. Read verse 32. Men of Iskar who understood the times and knew what... What is Iskar? What is Iskar? It's one of the twelve tribes. So there should be about a hundred thousand of them if our example was correct. Keep going. Who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Two hundred chiefs with all their relatives under their command. How many who understood the times and knew what they should do? 200 with their relatives. How about that? Out of all of the tribes of Israel, when you looked at the tribe of Issachar, the number of people in Issachar who knew the times and knew what they should do was about 200. Do you think we'll always be outnumbered friends? They're surrounded 
by multitudes. In Issachar alone, there's got to be more than 100,000. In reality, there were hundreds of thousands in the tribe of Issachar. And there were only 200 who, hear this, understood the time and knew what to do. If this title about this message is your moment, how many people understand that it's their moment and know what to do? Probably not yet. Now, let's compound this fact by saying all of Israel was the church. They were all adopted as sons of God. They were all baptized in the Red Sea. They all followed the leading of His Spirit in a cloud by day and a fire by night. So they were all the charismatic church of their day. And in the tribe of Issachar, how many in? Now that gets into the point zero, zero, zero percent. 200 out of an entire nation. That's an amazing thing. How many in this room understand the time and know what you're supposed to do? Most of us just wait and wait and wait and wait until our lives are over. And then you hire somebody who didn't tell you to give a funeral and lie all about your life. And what kind of accomplishments are there? Oh, you built a big business. You have a few kids. Who you say love the Lord, but actuality they love themselves. That happens every Joshua 2. Read to me 8 through 13. Joshua 2. 8 through 13. Not every day in church you get to read about a whore. Before the spies lay down to the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. How did she know that, guys? There's no record of anybody telling her. How did Rahab know that the Lord was giving her land to someone else? Is that the kind of thing people just wake up normally and go, Oh, praise God! My inheritance is being given to someone else! Is that the kind of thing that the flesh would normally tell you? Some kind of way she was in contact with Yahweh God because she was looking for Him. Yeah. What did Jesus say? Those who seek will. That is not a New Testament principle. That is a God principle. Keep going. So that the Lord has given his life to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Simon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. What was the sure sign that saved them from death? Anybody got a guess? Come on, you've been to Sunday school. What's you hanging around this? Okay, I just let you down the trail that it's not right. That is not the sure sign. This is an amazing thing. The symbol, the symbol was a scarlet rope. But do you know what the sure sign was? She was obedient to what they told her to do. Yeah. See, 
if somebody else had hung the scarlet rope, it wouldn't matter. She did what they told her to do. And so it saved her life, her family's life, and everybody that was in her household's life. There was no magic in a scarlet cord, was there? She was obedient and willing. Rahab, by the way, was an incredible sinner, wasn't she? Why was she in the city wall? Because that's where business was good. And what was her business? willing to do what the Lord told her to do and she became obedient when he told her to do it. Did the Lord give her talents? Be gross if he did. He doesn't need anything from us. We're all the same disease stuff. You know what he needs? Obedience. And it starts with a willingness. How about the next little superstar for the kingdom of God? How about this one? It's Esther 4. The girl named Hadassah started the 12th when, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Hold there for a second. With Rahab and with Esther, could they have heard the word, if it threatens your house, you don't have to do it. If it threatens your vineyard, you don't have to do it. If it threatens somebody you love, you don't have to do it. Couldn't they have done those things and not been willing? Think about this. If God only wants those who are willing, and He says, if your house is on the line, you don't have to do it. If your vineyard's on the line, you don't have to do it. If your loved one's on the line, you don't have to do it. Aren't these all of the reasons that we don't do what He tells us to do? But Lord, I have a house to pay for. But Lord, I could lose my job. But Lord, I have a family to provide for. Aren't they the same three reasons? Every superstar of the faith risked all three to become a superstar in the faith. Rahab risked her house. She risked her family's life. She certainly risked her job. But she made it into the lineage of Christ. Esther, did she risk her house? Yeah, she lived in the palace. Did she risk her, her family's lives? Yes. Did she risk her job? Her job was throwing parties for the king. Did she risk it? Everything that God throws out there and says, if these things bother you, you don't have to do it, is to weed out those who belong in the kingdom from those who don't. And what, desire, what, what shows that you belong in the kingdom? When you desire Him, you're willing and obedient. He's not making anyone obey Him. The only thing He will make mankind do is at the throne, He will make every knee bow before Him. But we're not in that phase. We're in the phase where He says, I'm going to leave it up to you. And I might even discourage you a little bit. You don't want to bow to me because of your house? It's okay. You don't want to bow to me because of your spouse? It's okay. You don't want to bow to me because of your job. It's okay. Go home. I only want those who want to. Amen. What an amazing thing. Keep reading about Esther. For if you remain soft this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place. You and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. This was her moment. 
her moment in time. Rahab only had one moment in time. What happens if Rahab shut up in the walls of Jericho, did not act on that day? She lasted. The spies probably would have lost their lives too. And that whole story unfolds differently. What happens if Esther keeps her mouth shut? What happens if you miss your moment? We don't know yet, but we know that the consequences are always devastating. Yeah. How about people who did miss their moment? The Bible's full of those too. They missed their opportunity. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you under my wings, but you were not. Did Jerusalem pay a price for that? These things were written down for us. What was Esther's attitude? It's in the next couple of verses. If I perish, I perish. What did the king, what, what ultimately did she do that saved her nation? She threw a tea party for the king. Did God need her? I mean, surely he could get any girl anywhere to go bring, you know, a banquet to the king. She didn't go out, are you people? She didn't go to a battlefield and out fight her. God never really needed anything from her. It's been his pleasure to hang the success of his plan on the obedience of his people rather than his plans. Come on, church, what does this tell you? You don't lack anything. You don't lack anything except to be willingness and obedience. What should we be praying for? Lord, give me a steadfast heart and a willing spirit. And you look for opportunity. What kind of things might God call you to do? Well, why won't we work into this the Baptist way? What do we know God wouldn't call you to do? Well, certainly He wouldn't call you to go talk to Charles Manson. Certainly He wouldn't call you to... Somebody go to Acts now. When you get there, start reading in the 10th verse. Now, there was a disciple of the master's name, Ananias. The Lord said to him, The vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, I am Lord. And the servant said to him, Get up and go to the street called the street, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hand on him so that he might regain his sight. Did the Lord just tell Ananias what to do very clearly? Yes. Did he give him a supernatural proof? Yeah. Yeah, he said, hey, look, this dude's already seen you come. What's Ananias said? Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints that produced him. Lord, I, I don't know whether you know. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the know. <laughs> Maybe you haven't caught the news today. You know what a jerk this guy is? This is like Jonah refusing to go to Nineveh because he knows what Nineveh is like. We all have our moments where we're like, Lord, really? Seriously? That's what you want? You can have your moment in the garden where you say, if it is possible to take this cup from me, and I won't fault you for that, but let's be clear, when the 
Lord has made them clear. There's no more room for discussion. There's obedience or disobedience. Finish about it and honest. But the Lord said to him, Go forgive the chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Did the Lord owe Ananias that explanation? No. But he loved him. He doesn't owe you anything. You owe him your obedience. If he gives you any kind of insight, any kind of encouragement, any kind of explanation, it is because he loves you, not because he owes it to you. Now, Ananias goes, and he prays for Saul, and scales fall off of his eyes, and Paul is baptized. And Paul received the Spirit in a way that Ananias could see it. It doesn't say he spoke in other tongues, but later we know he did. Let me ask you something. What if Ananias did not do what God said he did? What if he had to go through 25 Ananiases before he found somebody who was willing? And I don't know, a year passed. Could it have cost Ananias his family? Yeah, Saul was putting people in jail. Could it have cost Ananias his job? Well, if it cost him his life, it had cost him his job too. Think about that. It has always required the risk of all. Did it seem important to Ananias? Could it be important to Ruth? You know, maybe Esther was the only one that had some sense of the gravity of the situation. Most of them, it was just a task to be done that you would either do or not do. Why do we think that there are great moments in life? There's just moments. How you act will determine whether or not they're great. Amen. Amen. They're just moments. Do you think Winston Churchill knew he was going to be a hero? I don't. I think he just acted like a hero and it turned out that way. I mean, let's just be honest. How many times have you done something and in the end it turned out to be the right thing and everybody was proud of you? But you could have just as easily done the wrong thing. Most in my life. Our job is simply to be obedient in the moment. The Lord will make something great. Turn me to Acts 20. I'm going to read to you here and then we're going to go. Are y'all tired? No. No. I'm going to make you a promise. I won't waste your time on Wednesdays. Okay? You come with testimonies. You come fired up. I will not waste your time. I will teach you something new, something good, something that came from the throne every single Wednesday. It'll be different than Sundays. We may change this meeting a hundred different ways. You may always read the messages. I may sit out and put all y'all up here. I don't know how we're going to do it. What's that thing? Just want to be willing and obedient. <laughs> Amen. Willing and obedient. But the deal is, if I do those things, you cannot waste your own time. Okay? We need to cultivate an atmosphere in here with obedience. We have to. If we simply are students, if that's what we are, there'd be no reward for our work. There won't. You'll be smart, arrogant, and unproductive. That's what you mean. What we need are the exploits of the mighty fighting men. We need somebody who picked a fight with a ladder on the snowy day. We need somebody who looked and said, that seven foot Egyptian's not too big for God. We need somebody who, when everybody else runs, their hand freezes to the sword, and you stand your ground and you strike them down. Somebody who picks up their jawbone. Not because they were great, but because it was their jawbone to pick up. We need those things. There are no super people in the kingdom. There are just people. And God does super things through the willing and obedient. Are you on Acts 20? Yes. 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 Look at verse 
22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task. That's become a church phrase. But a man wrote it. He knew that at his next stop, he'd be beaten and imprisoned. He knew it because the Holy Spirit told him. He knew it because it's what happened to him everywhere he went. And he said, my life's not worth anything completing the task. Is everything. Is that willingness? Yes. Is it obedience? Yes. Did he risk his home? Yes. Did he risk his job? Yes. Did he risk his spouse? We don't know if Paul was married, huh? All Jewish men who were members of the Sanhedrin before his age were married. I wonder if he already lost her for That would sure explain a lot of Corinthians 7. Listen, the kingdom has always required gut-wrenching sacrifice. That's how you know that the battle was the Lord's. It's bigger than you. Listen to what happens next. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Is that sacrifice, friend? Yes. What if the last service Gary Kenshin was in here? He lifted you before we began worship. He said, worship with me with all of your heart because we will never see each other again this side of the resurrection. Might we have done something just a little different? Is it possible to sit what happens here. Verse 1 of 21. After we had torn ourselves away from them, the Ephesian elders, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went aboard, on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed in Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there... We stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Where had Jesus called him? He knew that he would never be again in Ephesus, and he told them so. He knew that beatings awaited him there, and now at his next stop, after the Ephesian elders with the disciples entire, what did they do? Urge him not to go. And how did they do it? How do you urge somebody through the Spirit? Come on, your charismatics, how's that happen? They prophesied to him. So, well, wait a minute, I thought prophecy was always right. Well, it was, it was interpreted wrong. He was going to get the crap beat out of him in Jerusalem, and Jesus still wanted him to go. When they discerned by the Spirit what would happen to him in Jerusalem, they decided he shouldn't go. Isn't this always the way that it is, though? What would have happened if Paul said, you man, y'all all hear from the Holy Ghost as well as I do. You're right. Let's sit here and build a fire and play Lincoln Halls. Yeah. What would happen? Well, you wouldn't have the letter to the Romans. You wouldn't have most of the prison epistles. You wouldn't have a Bible like the one that you have. He understood this moment. How about this? Verse 12. Verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea 
coming over to us, He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to... Where had Jesus told him to go? Where did Paul say that his his life was worth nothing to him? If only he could complete the task. All of it was Jerusalem bound. And now in three different instances, people who hear from God are begging Him not to go to Jerusalem. You really have to know that it's your moment. How important is it that you hear from God says? How important is it that you be willing and then God also determined even stubborn to do what God's told you to do? You know, it's not making me a martyr to tell you the truth. The truth is most people in my life were discouraging, not encouraging about starting the church that you said it. Some of them took such big shots, it was almost as if there was a devil at work. You have to know that God has called you. And you have to be determined about it. You have to be willing to outlast all of the voices of discontent. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul. Who is we? It's Luke, Timothy. Silas, Paul's closest friends are saying, don't go. The Ephesian elders didn't want him to go. The disciples of Tyre didn't want him to go. But God wanted him to go. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Friends, the message here today is, can you be dissuaded from your moment? Will you give up, or will those who are trying to discourage you give up? Somebody will win, and it is a battle of attrition. The Lord has already said, if you don't want to fight, go home. If you'd rather protect your house, go home. If you'd rather protect your job, go home. If your family is more important to you than the moment God called you to, Go home. We don't need you. But if you are there on the day of battle, then it becomes a, do I rise for the occasion? Or can I be dissuaded from it? What happens if little David doesn't go out to face the giant because his oldest brother said that he shouldn't? Because Saul said that he shouldn't? Because not a man in Israel thought that he could? He knew the Lord was with him. Because the same spirit that was in David that moved him to that, the same spirit that was in Shammah, the same spirit that was in all of the mighty men of God, Eleazar, son of Dodon, these mighty men who did valiant, amazing things, is inside of you. But many times we've been talked out of our moments. Praise God we're not out of them yet. We still have a few ahead of us. Because the day will come when you don't get another one. I love my daddy and I'm proud of it. And I'm going to try to put using him as an example. But you have to understand this is what's happening in my life. And if he could have another one, he would. I'm just telling you the truth. If he could go back 
and do some of them again, he would. Sometimes you only get one shot at the Life is way too short to miss the will of God because you're wrapped up in sin. Life is way too short to miss the will of God because you're mad at your name. It's way too short to miss the word of God that he had for you that would help you on Monday and it's Sunday because you're too lazy to get your butt out of bed. I'm just telling the truth. Every time a dynamic message is preached here, it doesn't matter who preaches it. The people who need it the most are hiding in a hole somewhere. Happens every Sunday. And they're missing their moments. Some will make it friends. There's no question. People were prophets. But the reality is very few were walking out. I'm praying that you will. I'm telling you the truth. We could use some help. We've never been as strong as some people think we are. We've never been as confident as some people think we are. We are just regular people who are doing our best to be willing and obedient. And the whole goal was to set an example that you would follow because we knew if we could turn the tide and get more willing and obedient than that weren't, the whole church would change the face of the earth. We know that because we watched Jesus do it. We know it because his willingness and his obedience set 12 on fire. They had a defector. They replaced him. And those 12 changed the face of the earth because they were willing and obedient, not because they were fantastic. Let's stand up. Let's pray together with all people. The first funeral I ever did, a woman slapped my face. This last funeral that I did, a guy wanted to hit me in my office. And then, 